0: You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy 7 on Twitter, although known as Blake Allen Murphy. I'll be joined here today with the second week of having uh, Kent Hodder from New Zealand Living currently in Australia as my co-host, Kent. We are here to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. We'll talk about Kyler Murray's situation as well as a bit on the free agency situation for the Cards. Kent, let's go ahead and begin before we get into all of that important news. How are you doing down under, as they say?
1: Uh, very good, thanks, Blake. It's uh, It's been another week and just... Uh waiting to dive more into some of this offseason stuff because it is a a lot to cover a lot to talk about and uh, i think there's a lot of paths that arizona can take that i'm quite quite excited to talk about
0: definitely let's start with what was the biggest news entering super bowl week uh we talked about this on sunday morning It seemed like it was just about to become a non-story, and then lo and behold, uh, you have a tweet sent out from uh, Chris Mortensen. One of the premier uh, NFL insiders goes over under Mort Report, sends out a message at least kind of explaining from that and what the Kyler Murray situation was. Uh, We pull up the tweet here at least for that one, but to report it did not make... It did not put Kyler Murray in a very good place as far as for that painting a great picture. You can get more on that, but what he talked about was the odd vibe was alarming. Talked about how Kyler Murray was described as self centered, immature, and finger pointer. Frustrated with the franchise, embarrassed by the playoff loss to the Rams, thinks he's been framed as the scapegoat. The second tweet was a little bit more positive. Talked about that they expect things to calm down. Murray is obviously still their quarterback. Veterans are going to reach him about how to handle adversity better. Probably a Colt McCoy reference there. And Cliff Kingsbury self scouting where he can provide better alternatives for the quarterback. It just seems like the Cardinals have gone from this 11 win season for the first time since the 2015 season to where it feels like things have almost melted down. It just looks like the organization's in a bit more chaos and turmoil behind the scenes when it comes to them and their quarterbacks. Some had hinted this with the social media site. Seems there's maybe some confirmation there. What are some of the takeaways you had from this report dropping and no less with a lot of eyes on it on Super Bowl Sunday?
1: I think probably the the first thing I took, took out of it is you've, you've got a national media guy here now picking it all up and, and actually reporting what seems to be multiple different sources of information out of the team, which is uh, an interesting point to start. And, and also just the, the different, the levels of, of what Kyla's behavior has been taken as from one side, but also that, Hey, we're not, we're not giving up on the kid. We just know that he's got some improvements to make um is a very positive way to look at it. But I come back to if a lot if a lot of our teams, or not our teams, but if a lot of teams in the NFL were sitting there on third season of a quarterback, they've gone from a three-win team to an eight-win team to an eleven win team. They've made the playoffs. They're all happy, they're up and about. It's it's good times. They're they're happy, looking forward to the future. Um, and I think Probably what it's shining a lot more light on is just exactly how much pressure is going to be on the team this season to make a splash, particularly in the playoffs, because that is what the te- the team ownership wants, and it's going to be on, on Cliff and Kime to deliver that, and they know how important Kyler is to that end goal.
0: Yeah, and that's where it'll be interesting, uh, because... One of the things I know talking with people around is that there was a lot of this type of talk pre-draft with Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. And that's one of the cases where people can measure, you know, what kind of makes him tick, what's kind of the place behind it. Um, And there's definitely something at least where people have said, hey, like there's definitely stuff that was coming out where most people when they look at their quarterback, they're looking at the Kurt Warners, the... Um, the Carson Palmer is there's a level of ego that every quarterback's going to have Um, Tom Brady and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are three of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen. And I felt like there's been nothing but drama in some of the cases with them. Um, A lot of it comes down to the Cardinals probably don't have some of the same issues. If they're winning, he gets the extension. People are, you know, pretty happy overall. There's been a lot of questions at least that has followed since Oklahoma, as far as questions. But a lot of it is like, Hey, like, when you're coming down to a Kyler Murray, is this a nothing is ever my fault, it's all your fault, finger-pointing type of player, or is this kind of a level of, hey, I take care of my business, you guys got to take care of your business, player who, you know, instead of coaching up teammates, he'll be hard on himself and want to work on improving himself. It's much more of this inward look of quarterback versus an outward look that many people have seen with you know maybe a quarterback like like a Josh Allen uh, a quarterback who comes to mind especially I think in that regard of being a Russell Wilson who is this almost you know crazy amount of (laughs) confidence that he can have or put into others to the point where it's almost cringy, where it's just like, you know, there's only so many times you can root on teammates when you're down by 30 points for the most part to continue going out, making him plays or believing Uh, kind of the Ted Lasso approach to some places. Um, I think it's then a kind of a level of when you're talking about with a quarterback, what is the level that play then changes that Kyler needs to make as far as when it comes to maturing as a 25 year old versus helping to kind of maybe some have said pushing the organization in a way since I think a lot of people have said this is an area that you take Murray's side or you take the organization side I feel like it's more of a level of both need to kind of show some steps and improvement in some regard and that's what's interesting with this Mortensen report is I think he kind of hit the nail on the head and you talked and said like the report definitely feels like this is coming more from Steve kime than from Cliff Kingsbury I think it was NFL Draft Scout noted that Cliff and Kyler share an agent. They Don't share an agent between Steve Kime. Someone in the organization is seeming to want Kyler and push him to step up. But in turn, it feels like the Murray, by finger pointing or other stuff, is saying that the organization needs to step up as well. What are some of your thoughts on the maturity of Kyler Murray in that regard? Is this something that we're going to be dealing with this as a Cardinals fan base just due to the person he is? Or is this somewhat reflecting on the Cardinals organization as well?
1: I think Kyle is a very, he's still a very young man. And you go back through his sporting history, you look at how revered he was at high school in Texas. He then, he then went to, was it A&M behind Johnny Manziel and transferred to Oklahoma, almost as if there wasn't really that, that drive to compete. He wanted, to, he wanted to get his opportunity and be given that opportunity to shine. He got that at Oklahoma, and we all saw exactly what he did. He was able to take that team to a national championship. He was able to give Alabama a good shot. He, one of the greatest throws that I think I've seen at the collegiate level in that championship game against Alabama from Kyle Murray, just you, you cannot count on, you know, you don't need an entire hand to count the number of people who can make that throw. Um, but, it's a guy who has never lost. And dealing with losing for the first time at the professional level with a professional locker room, the media scrutiny, everything around that is is something that I don't think anyone would deal with very well. And and Kyler has to really figure out what is his method going to be. Um, And he seems to have settled on a very introspective sort of, um, as as you mentioned, an introspective sort of I'm going to be harsh on myself when things go wrong, and it, it comes through in his in his body language a little bit, and it comes through, and in, in some of the stuff that he's doing after plays and on sidelines, that I guess different people are going to look at it differently. the The archetype archetype of a quarterback is a a vocal leader, a talisman. Kyler I don't think is ever going to be that kind of a player um and you need we need to probably figure out earlier rather than later that that's not going to be who he is as a player or as a person and be able to build your team around that and find leadership from other sources
0: it's it's I think the question that comes up at least is like you said, as far as for the introspective look, being much more of like hard on himself, it's almost an avenue of how much of this is a Cardinals organization that had success with the likes of Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer. And you look at even the model of Larry Fitzgerald, uh, a lot of ways a guy who they've said has maybe not been on the same page as Murray because he was a guy who in some regards was seen as you know the ultimate team guy. Like he went from being a player you know people called the one trick pony to being a guy who is like the face of the team was always kind of trying to be encouraging to a point would usually even joke about or laugh at things with people and stuck with the team for some 17 years didn't demand a trade didn't end up having that and in that regard also wasn't necessarily committed to winning at all costs as far as this i guess you say the nfl mercenary method you think of these guys who will basically just go out and say, I'll take whatever team wants me or will play me, whatever pays me the most. That's kind of the mercenary avenue of the NFL. Fitzgerald wasn't really ever about that for the most part. And so for the Cardinals to go from those type of players to a guy who wants to win and if he feels like you're holding them back, then he's going to start wanting to put pressure um, through one way or another. It's definitely something that I think is different for the organization uh, it kind of brings up the idea, and this is the comparison that I think the site writer Seth Cox had for us. He said he's a lot more like Kobe Bryant as far as what Kyler is. And Kobe was a guy who always was essentially you know, selling himself as a brand, which you have seen from Murray, but also was the kind of do-it-yourself type of player, like the best example you can ever give of Kobe Bryant. Is you know people always talk about he had this awesome you know sixty point final game. Well, he took I think it was the last fourteen shots in that game for the most part in a spot where they were down by ten, versus giving him to his players or making other plays. And it became the legend of Kobe as he retired. The team won, but it was also an avenue of if he misses those shots, and he missed I think it was fifty percent of his shots in that game, just because he was trying to be able to go out on a bang. Made it where it was about him. That's one of the avenues that I think, at least, of Kobe without Shaq that you're looking at with the likes of Kylo Murray. It's not necessarily this, you know, Chris Paul type of leader that's overall there that's pushing around. It's definitely a different spot for the Arizona Cardinals. So then I think it brings up the question, Kent, of how much of that is a spot of here's where the team needs to recognize this is in their quarterback, be able to try to have that level of instead of pushing him to be something he's not. How much of it is them accepting where he is building around him and challenging themselves in kind versus how much of this is also Kyler Murray having to recognize, hey, if you're being made the scapegoat, you're a guy who, you know, is being called like a finger pointer. You're the guy who's getting a bulk of the blame and you need to step up and be able to push teammates in other regards, be a lot more of a vocal leader how much of that is just that's the job in the NFL it's like you can join a job that overall is checking out in a lane and maybe your avenue for success is as a checkout person may not be what the job exactly is for it so some of that is having to step up maybe in regards just because that's what the job is versus hey here's the type of leader that you know Kyler Murray is which is much more of a lead on the field type of a player, be able to, you know, making the different types of throws, improving in different metrics. Cause he, it's not like he's a guy who, you know, has regressed every single year since he was in a rookie teams, figured out more and he never worked hard to be able to better himself Uh, he's improved year over year so I think it's somewhere the answer is in the middle Kent and I think it's much more than a question of how much in the middle does Kyler have to go to improve as a leader versus how much of this is the Cardinals you know trying to get Kyler Murray who's much more like a Kobe Bryant type of player to essentially you know turn into this Chris Paul type of player that he is not
1: And I, th- I think the the Kobe to Kyler, while you're comparing one of the best basketball players to ever play to a young emerging quarterback, you have mm. it's ignoring that.
0: Yeah, young on, Kobe, on, I think, is a good way to put it then.
1: <laughs> both both of these guys were required to put teams on their shoulders to win their games. It's why Kobe ends up taking the last 14 shots. It's why, why Kyler will throw balls into contested windows. It's why Kyler will take... Some riskier throws, even if he has oodles of arm to try and complete that and actually does a lot of the time, this team is not winning football games without Kyler Murray. So I guess the one, the one thing that Kyler needs to understand is this is the NFL. The NFL is the quarterback wins league. You are going to have to take that criticism when it comes from a number of sources outside of the organization, because that is part and parcel of being a franchise quarterback. What the team needs to be able to do is not expect Kyler to be someone that he's not. They would have known throughout the entire draft process that Kyler is not this vocal rah-rah hype-it-up leader that um, – is going to be out there and dapping all his teammates up and and being there and supporting everybody and everything they do. He is going to be the I'll do my job, you do your job, and if you don't, you do your job. I will be able to cover for a vast majority of that, and we can still win games. But he he needs those guys to do their job. If they do, if you do your job, I do my job, we win games. Um. And I I think that's an expectation probably some people expect a lot more from a quarterback, but that's, again, it's not Kyler. He's going to lead with actions, not words. And it it probably puts more pressure on some of the other veterans on the team. It puts a little bit of pressure more on the coaching staff and the position coaches to really be leaders in that aspect Um, with, with Kyler. It's just he needs to be able to deal with that criticism. If it's coming externally, then you're going to have to deal with it. If it's coming internally, you need to understand where internally it's coming from and why. Because with Kyler, there are definitely periods of time where he will make a bad play and he will let that play linger in what he does.
0: Hmm.
1: I think I mentioned it last week. He he needs to get past that. Once he gets past that, and I think this is where Colt McCoy is going to be an incredible help for that, is you cannot change that action in the past. Yeah, you might have just thrown a pick six. You can't change that, and you can't let that impact your future decision making.
0: Right, and like you said, there's an area where the Cardinals can be early beaters of Teams And then things start to go south. And what's interesting is it wasn't necessarily that it would crumble, but it would go from being where you were able to run the ball and blowing it away to Cardinals are down by 10 in the fourth quarter. And you've got five minutes left in the game needing to score twice. And it's on Kyler's shoulders to have to basically drive the team down complete passes while they're essentially rushing, you know, four guys or bringing a fifth guy to say, hey, we don't want you running and taking off down the field. Uh, We're gonna probably rush a guy toward you to make sure that you're feeling some pressure, and it's like you know the difference with Kyler and how he responded to guys like AJ Green, who would you know had a few penalties in other areas. I I just think of the Seahawks game in which AJ Green had the ability to make extra money that year. And they went out and targeted him early. And he was not only not able to separate, but was using his hands. And you know, some of that, maybe the calls were unlucky his way. But you can kind of tell that it was a spot where it's like, hey, dude, we're featuring you. We've gotten plays that are there. We're taking a shot to you on third and one, giving you what you want with that one-on-one coverage. And you're just not doing your job. Or when there was a route of coming back on a play, got tangled up with a guy, didn't get the flag drawn. You know, there's disappointment that you can have in in general, and then there's specific disappointment that you can have. What I think is interesting is that the players, at least, that were talked to, and this kind of goes back to um, with Mortensen's report for the most part, which was, you know, hey, if this is coming from the Arizona Cardinals, not coming from Cliff because they share an agent, what do some of the players think about him? And I remember that this was a case with Josh Rosen behind the scenes. People heard stuff afterwards. Sometimes you pass it on. Other times you wait till a player moves on. Um, The thought that they had for the most part with Josh Rosen was some teammates really liked him. Some people couldn't care less about him. It was very interesting that there was kind of this avenue of more of this instead of a universal team approach. It was, like, maybe not necessarily that Rosen just only talked to some or pushed more for some guys, but it was just an interesting comparison between uh, the likes of Ashley and Nicole Moss reaching out, talked to a few people, including Hopkins. They all spoke highly of him. We heard Zach Ertz coming in, spoke highly of Murray, and this is, you know, coming out of a guy who had Jalen Hurts, one of those team-first leader, like, inspirational locker room speech type of guys that you'll have very contradictory to what Chris Mortensen said. So then that brings up kind of the question of what is the front office doing? Is it trying to motivate their quarterback? Is it even motivating in a way where they don't feel like the coaching staff is capable of motivating their quarterback? They're bringing stuff public that they don't feel they can do in private. And how much of this I think also is simply looking at with Steve Keim and feeling a semblance of pressure. Because the first thing I thought of when I read through it was, yeah, there's areas I've heard that he needs to improve, but when you're releasing this into the public and putting it with this entire a hey, self-centered, immature finger-pointing, the person who's leaking that report at the very same time is kind of doing the exact same thing. It's like saying, you're an immature, self-centered finger-pointer. Well, well, you're an immature, self-centered finger-pointer. It's that type of hypocrisy just in that report of essentially almost in some case confirming, hey... Kyler Murray is saying that he's the scapegoat. Well, I'm going to leak that information because I think that he's the one who's the fault at fault. What is it with Steve Kime with what they're doing? Because what I feel like is it does feel like this is the first time in maybe a number of years that Kime has actually had some pressure that was put on him in a regard. And it did feel a little bit in some regard like trying to kind of pass the buck early. Like, hey, if we don't improve next year, well, that's because, you know, you look at the quarterback. Hey, he did Worse in 2022 than in 2021, he's the guy who didn't improve overall. There is some level of semblance, I think, of blame and regard that the organization should take on. And it's interesting that they really kind of didn't seem to take it on from this regard, especially from a general manager in that regard who we've seen has kind of passed the bill and Blamed others before the Steve Wilkes year being a great example where they essentially said, hey, this is the wrong coach. Not to mention all of these terrible offseason signings that we did as an organization, much less hiring that coach Two even times where Kime has always said we don't miss on the player. We always miss on their character, which is, hey, we scouted you properly. You just didn't want the game enough. That takes the blame off of you in a huge sense. What do you think of Steve Kime's role in all of this, especially when it comes to the Mortensen report and this relationship with the Cardinals and Kyler?
1: Steve Kime is my favorite subject. <laughs> the, I think it is the second part of the Mortensen tweet reads almost as if Steve Kime wrote it himself, which is a really interesting piece because that's the positive spin on it. I, I wonder whether some of the finger pointing aspect is coming from players that may be leaving this offseason or have left in the past. I look at maybe someone like I don't know what the relationship between Kyler and Christian Kirk is like. A few of those guys. There might be some some trust there, but it but again, it's it still feels like it's not coming from a player. It feels like it is coming from the front office somewhere be it steve kine be it one of his close confidants i'm not sure but it, it does it's almost as if you're trying you're trying to motivate your quarterback or you're trying to show that your quarterback that you are not the only one that holds this opinion about their behavior so you're putting it into the public realm to be able to go okay Kyler, you don't think that you're sitting there and saying that this wide receiver should have done this or you know this this tackle should have blocked better or this guy went up when he should have gone down or he, you know, he went left instead of right or whatever of those things may happen. And Kyle is saying, he didn't do this right. He didn't do this right. He didn't do this right. And this is why we ended up here. Whether Kyle doesn't see anything wrong with that behavior and, and the old school leadership of the team does is probably again, another disconnect of generation. Uh, I, it's, it seems like the information is coming from, from Steve Kime and I really don't see what he has to gain from it. It, it's almost, it's almost like it is entirely driven by the pressure to win and, and f- possibly preempting a, a struggle next season. And I'm, um, you know, as you said, I told you our quarterback wasn't behaving perfectly. And now you can see the results of that. It's, I just don't think anybody in this entire situation has been hundred percent correct in, in how they've behaved. Kyla, whether it was him, whether it was his, his social media team, whether it's his marketing team, the whole social media sweep, whatever, never should have happened. The whole Steve Kime team leaking to local media, to national media, never should have happened this should all have been internal off-season meeting coaches senior players front office senior leaders owner in a room hey we've got some issues let's work through them because that is how good leadership works and that is how accountability works because you get those people in a room you're going to have the right people hold the right people accountable for the mistakes. You're also going to have people praised for the stuff that they're doing well. And I guess also with, with Kyla personally, I don't, again, I don't know the guy. How well does the guy take criticism? How well does the guy take coaching? It's a guy who's almost been very much been raised up and been on a pedestal his entire career, be it baseball, be it football, be it high school, be it college, be it as a rookie the losing part and the pressure to win and the adversity around that and the criticism that comes with it. It, it would, would have been an impossible scouting note to put on Kyle Murray's report. Deals with adversity poorly, deals with adversity well because he'd never dealt with any of it in the past. And I guess it's, it's coming out now. Definitely needs to get better. How, how do you achieve that? It's not by going through a reporter and telling him that he's a finger pointer. It's, it seems like just there's a level of dysfunction and almost whether possibly Cliff and Kyler are aligned on one side and Steve Kimes on the other with Cliff and Kyler sharing an agent, whether maybe the agent's involved in some way of trying to push his own narrative of going, hey, my quarterback and my, my coach are good. It's this guy over here who can't build a football team for my guys to win. You know, there's always different angles, and different people are going to have different views on on what's going on. But the whole the whole thing from Kyla Murray at the start to Steve Kime at the end has just not been dealt with in the right way at all, and it reflects poorly on on the organisation as a whole.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a spot at least. And like you mentioned, Christian Kirk, I know his mom had some different tweets that were liked on Twitter. It became a whole thing, which, you know, in defense, it's almost like I think someone's comments that I saw on the situation said, you know, if, um, uh, my infant daughter was a wide receiver for the Cardinals or something like that I'd blame the quarterback over her than for lack of production, just because that's, that's your kid. Like, that's just how it is. No one ever likes being told, you know, their baby is ugly because that's not the world that we live in. Uh, it's going to be an interesting Avenue. I think, like you said, this is kind of going to be to wrap up the Kyler cliff. I, it just feels to me like, because you don't have the GM and the head coach on the same page and the GM head coach and quarterback aren't on the same page. It just feels like that. I, not to say that it's a relationship that's just completely fractured and broken wholeheartedly, but more just that I think that those three areas have come to an end in some regard, or at least are in the process of, because you can't really continue with having that lack of communication that's going on from one end to the other. Either you're going to have to make a move in the front office to be able to, you know, rectify. Some of the areas of how it comes to the team building to where you don't have a quarterback who's having to go out there and whenever the quarterback is an off day or struggles, you know, the team is almost hopeless. If the head coach is trying to be able to make it where it's him and Kyler and designing the offense to fit his quarterback best. And then you're not really whether it's not running the ball as far as either well or effectively or maybe it's not even as much about the run. It's simply looking at the line that's being put in front and they're trying to adjust to the talent that's been given on the coaching side to the quarterback having this entire avenue where he's having to refute those little reports with pictures of himself on Instagram. it's just all at least enough of a mess where it feels like that we're kind of approaching some sort of big change. that's going to be happening after this next year in the organization. And if there was confidence that they had in Cliff, Kyler and Kime, uh, you probably would be seeing the owner going out and, making those extensions so I think you want to credit Michael Bidwell in that regard for not simply being content in that as well of still wanting to win of not just saying hey we're an 11 and 5 type of team let's go ahead and keep everything going for now this is great this is good that's something I think that the Indianapolis Colts got into a track record of with Andrew Luck and some of the leadership they had there which backfired on them over the next four years for the most part. Um, it'll be something that I think we can take it one step at a time, seeing how the Cardinals, if there's any more things that come up with this off season, if it ends up turning into a huge mode of silence, if there's other moves, the Cardinals make, you know, with the NFL combine and everything coming up, that'll be something that we can go through and measure. Um, we're gonna take a quick break here for a second. We'll come back and we're going to switch topics talking about the current Cardinals free agents on the team. Who are the guys that the Cardinals are bringing back? And then talk a little bit about some of the free agent market at large, following some of the pros and cons of where they could focus and address some of these big knees heading into 2022. That'll be next on the ROTB pod. And we're back on the ROTB pod, Blake Murphy and Kent Hodder. Let's talk, Ken about some of the free agents in particular. With the Cardinals, their cap room, they'll make some space, obviously. Uh, They're right now right up against the cap. They'll be able to obviously maneuver a couple of different deals and contracts around. There's some deals that they have that are just going to be eaten by the Cardinals for some of the uh, dead salary cap that's been there. You kick the can down the road, It tends to be what happens. Top guys that they have as far as free agents are the likes of Christian Kurt, Chandler Jones, obviously. There's been... Reports that Justin Pugh, despite the contract being there, it may be some either dummy years or dead years. I think one way or another, it does seem like he would be a guy you would probably cut from that deal to be able to re-sign at a cheaper deal regardless. Um, You're also looking at probably some other cut candidates in Jordan Hicks. Uh, You're also seeing, at least for the most part, heading into the last year of guys in that 2019 draft class with Byron Murphy. You've got, obviously guys like Jalen Thompson. Uh, you also have Zach Allen would be some of the players who are there. Uh, you're also probably seeing the Cardinals picking up Kyler Murray's fifth-year option. That's not a question whatsoever. And you got some issues at running back. You've got two running backs that are not under contract. Eno Benjamin got some snaps this year. Where do you think the Cardinals start in terms of the players and the talent that they have that are their own free agents in uh, resigning them? Uh because there's enough players out there including like Zach Ertz and mac williams to tight ends i should mention as well they've got a lot of needs they need to be able to sign and some guys may be looking for either pay upgrades or a fair market deal and it's going to make some of these choices to keep these guys kind of complicated
1: i think obviously the the one place you have to start is Chandler jones because he is clearly the best free agent that the Cardinals have. I don't think he wants to resign here. That is the feel that I get. So either if he wants to be here, Arizona is going to have to throw a massive deal at a guy who is 32 years old, I believe. And it, it just, it, it's the kind of guy you'd want to be signing on a, Maybe a two-year two year contract with, with big money and, and a void year at the end to spread some of that that signing bonus cap hit out that you'll take at, at the, in the third year of that deal. But I have a feeling that he's probably going to be entertaining offers outside of Arizona a lot more than he will within Arizona. Past that point, it's the tight ends and the running backs for me. Um, you need... You need one of the two tight ends to come back, be it Max or Zach. I, I like Max. I think he fits what the team wants to do a lot more. He's more of the inline blocking tight end. He's more of the the guy who is there as the reliable check down option for Kyler. And we saw that work a lot early on in the season. Um, but again, Zach Ertz is an incredibly talented tight end. So you you have to entertain him coming back one of those two is is key as far as i can see and between james connor and chase edmonds i would love to see both of them come back i i don't know if that's possible depending on what monetary compensation they both want but i feel like that they just work so well in tandem together there was something keeping eno benjamin off the field i'm not sure whether that's uh an understanding of the playbook, whether it's pass protection, whether it's his ability to catch the football. When he did get snaps running the ball, he looked incredibly dangerous. We saw him running over defenders. We saw him running hard. He looked fast. He was finding holes. He was getting downhill. It just looked looked like a guy who was arguably the best pure running back on the football team. But there was something keeping him off the field, something keeping him fourth on the depth chart behind Jonathan Ward, who is a special teamer. So those those are the three guys who really offensively I would be going after. And Robert Alford defensively, again, I would be looking at him, seeing where he's at injury-wise. One-year deal, I feel like you could get him to stay and, and you've got a better team for it. In terms of looking at some of the... Uh, some of that 2019 draft class. Where do do you sit on that one?
0: Yeah, like you said, it feels very much like the Cardinals are in a spot where you've seen enough from Eno Benjamin that in managing, you know, with salary cap as it is, it's always about opportunity costs. Like if you're going to bring back James Conner, you're going to bring back Chase Edmonds. Then suddenly there's another player that you may not be able to either bring in or add to an extension. In a regard, you've got someone like Inu behind there and you look at the plethora of running backs available in the draft. And, you know, Arizona's wanted to kind of add a running back the past two or three years. Uh, they just have not been picking or not been there at the right opportunity to. Um, that's where we've kind of seen them sign some of these. Cheaper running back free agent deals, I think um I know like they had interest in Zach Moss in the third round a little while ago. They did like Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards Allaire, but in that twenty twenty draft, you knew or I think it was twenty twenty one I have to remember I think it was twenty twenty actually where they had traded away their second round pick, which was kind of the prime pick that you were going to use to get a running back in that regard because you know. You always do that if you can get DeAndre Hopkins for it. (laughs) I think Hopkins' health will be interesting to see this year. Uh, We can talk a lot about the receivers since that'll probably be one of the focal points I think you'll make. But I think it becomes a spot where if you look at the skill set and you say, hey, I think Chase Edmonds is honestly for what he does – whether it's in the past game, whether it's in just being able to make use of space and big plays. You could probably argue he's maybe a slightly better back than James Conner. But when you use James Conner like they did, both in the past game and, hey, it's third and one. We're going to hand the ball off to James Conner. And it feels like that they get stopped once or twice of on the year um, against really good defensive lines. Otherwise, it's just they keep moving and churning for first downs. Or he's able to score in the goal line, which was really a huge factor to the red zone offense. I think when they lost both Hopkins and Connor, you just saw them being unable to really convert in the red zone. Uh, They didn't want to run Kyler Murray forward, which I think would have been the key. But teams were keying in on that and saying, hey, we want to let, you know, we'll pin Christian Kirk and A.J. Green at the line. We'll force you to have to get creative. There's a lot of times where they weren't able to do that or penalties kind of impacted them. So I think if I was the Cardinals, and I think just from either what I've talked to with some people there, what seems to make the most sense is kind of put Eno into that chase role and see how he does for a year, knowing that this is his third year in the league. He's going to have the offense mastered by now. Maybe the pass protection is going to be something that was some of the reason or... Maybe they just said, hey, let's give all the carries to Chase and Connor because they're on one year deals. And that way we can, you know, keep our fresh legs for year four, three and four of Eno's running back year, make a seamless transition. I think they'd try to keep James Connor if they could. I don't know if they'll want to keep him to a long term deal, though. It doesn't seem like he's a running back that you have as this featured three down back versus being kind of the Thunder to a Lightning type. Um, your second back coming off the bench who can carry the load if need be. I think that you would probably let Chase walk, see what he looks for, and have him come back on a one-year deal if he doesn't find the market he likes. Keep James Conner. And then I think you do look to the draft because there's a lot of teams this past few years who have found those running backs. Like, there's so many running backs taken in the second round of the last three years and teams that have re-signed running backs, like they've re-signed Derrick Henry, re-signed Dalvin Cook, they've gone out and paid their running backs. So they're kind of married to them at the position, one way or the other. You're going to probably have quite a few running backs who will be there available on day two. Maybe if you decide to wait until early day three, that you could then bring in to kind of replace James Conner in a year. Um, I think that's one of the avenues the Cardinals will do. And I don't see Steve Kime lining up to pay a running back after you kind of learned your lesson somewhat with David Johnson. And he was a guy that seemed to have all of the capacity to perform on that deal when others didn't, because he had the ability to be a pass catcher. So you're like, Oh, if he just gets beat up too hard in the run game, you just flex him out as a slot receiver and H back. He'll be able to take on that role. And then you saw his body just decline (laughs) dropping passes. It just felt like there was a gap that suddenly occurred. Um, that's where I think the Cardinals could go at those spots. I think the big question, like you said, is focusing on James Conner potentially because, you know, you want to at least be able to reward that guy, but at what cost? Zach Ertz is the big question. I think you're absolutely right. And Max Williams showcased the, type of two-way blocking. I don't think it's even as much a cliff thing. I think that specifically feeds into the running type of block that their offensive line coach Sean Kugler feeds into the offensive line where you can get a tight end blocking or chipping. They just that makes your offensive lineman feel better. You know that you've got a guy that you're not having to simply block, you know, one on one every single time. Uh, we did see the Cardinals blocking schemes get a bit worse over time when they were especially behind and having to throw the ball down the field, go five wide. There was a lot of sacks that Kyler took. There was other plays that turned into like those turnovers. I think the question that you, like you said is with the talent of Zach Ertz versus the age, uh, there's other free agents like Justin Murray. I think they let walk maybe a Robert Alford. You can see the play, but it's going to be enough corners on the market. I wonder if the Cardinals wouldn't just try to throw money at a cornerback one in the free agent market see if they could be able to go in on that, fix the issue where they don't have to necessarily, you know, make a choice between the offensive or defensive line of the draft. Um, and then just let their cornerbacks be Byron Murphy and Marco Wilson. Again, what are your thoughts on with Ertz if the Cardinals do bring him back? Because like you said, it's a talent. We saw Kyler go to him a lot on third down. I wouldn't mind him being back, but if he gets paid more than maybe one year's six to $8 million type of deal, maybe have incentives laid in in there. I don't know if I would mind letting him walk to another team, uh, a team like the Jaguars, so I think will probably be the team that would land Chandler Jones at this rate. (laughs) We can talk more about that at least with the connection, but I probably wouldn't mind letting him walk. I just think the hard part is going to be who do you find to replace him because that's the whole thing is the Cardinals have never had a stud type of tight end to the plikes of Zach Ertz, and to let him walk after you've got him just feels like it would be Maybe a bit of an oversight in that regard, or maybe you think you can do better and find another avenue. That's, these are all some really interesting questions I think the Cardinals have to work through, Kent.
1: And I, I just, I wonder whether when Max Williams found himself out for the season, the Cardinals sat there and said, we can't do what we want with our current tight end group. We have to go and get someone. Zach Ertz fits most of what we need. So we'll go go and grab him. It's a big splash. It shows our intent. People will, it it will generate buzz around the team. I'm not entirely sure that what Zach Ertz does best is what the Cardinals want their tight ends to be doing the most. And we saw it later on in the season when we had Daryl Daniels in the playoff game taking key snaps As the inline tight end, I think on the first drive or the first two drives, he was targeted twice when he had been targeted once the entire regular season. That's the kind of tight end that it seems like Sean Kugler wants. It seems even to be what Cliff wants. It seems to be what Kyler wants. That lends me very much along the line of thanks for the half a season, Zach. Best of luck elsewhere. Hopefully you get a good deal somewhere to play your football next year i I really think the next step after that is max you're twenty seven years old you've been injured once in the what I think at the five games you played you had you were thrown at seventeen targets sixteen catches right is the guy if you threw the ball at him he was going to catch it he was a key point of the run game, he was a key point in the pass game, he was the safety blanket he was Kyler's valve so important to that just the entire shape of the offense that people can miss when you see the name of Zach Ertz against Max Williams and you know that Max is universally loved by this team a four year deal, something and that's in that space get him into his early 30s have that player on your roster and let Zach Ertz leave is very much where I would sit. Not sure that happens, particularly with it, it really depends on on how much weight is put into what does what is going to be the perception of this move. Um but I look I'm I'm all in on Max Williams. I would I would pay him to come back and be tight in one and let let Zach Ertz work, play in Jacksonville, play somewhere else, reunite with Doug Peterson down there and and hopefully enjoy the rest of his career. Um, I didn't even mention Christian Kirk earlier, but that's probably because I just don't see him as a viable option to come back with the money that you're going to get paid in your free agent market for a wide receiver who, for all intents and purposes, is a slot guy who's going to be your number three option. It's It's not it's too much money to, to pay what he's going to command it's going to be 13 14 million a year it just doesn't make sense
0: yeah that's something with christian kirk that's going to be interesting uh to see because this is a free agent market that is very wide receiver heavy um i think we kind of gone over some of those different pieces that i think the Biggest one that I'll be curious about as far as for with structure is we're going to look at some of the other free agents, which would be how you look at the offensive line. And that's one of the more interesting ways because you've got this offensive line that really has not changed since 2018. And in terms of its actual structure really hasn't changed since they made the Cardinals made the move to DJ Humphreys at left tackle, letting go of Jared Valdir. They've always had somewhat of a, Humphreys is our guy. We've got a veteran interior lineman, want to have a veteran uh, center at least. And it seemed like they were committed to bringing in a veteran versus swinging for the likes of a Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma. And then trying to see what they can do to fill in with a bringing someone in who played tackle, moving them to guard and seeing if they can get it to work. It's been interesting to see because the Wizen hunt approach was really do with not just Bobby Massey was to kind of not really do that much on the offensive line. The Cardinals didn't really draft heavily on the offensive line up until they spent first on Jonathan Cooper and DJ Humphreys Cooper. Of course, maybe it's a different career if he doesn't tear that injury. Uh, Maybe there's issues with UNC players coming out. He seemed like he looked on a good track and just how it turned out. He ended up being essentially a bust for the Cardinals that became a journeyman for other teams. I'll be very curious to see what they do as far as if they decide to say, we're going to run it back with the likes of Justin Pugh, trying to bring him back if they're going to look for Josh Jones. who so I do think Josh Jones is going to be markedly better next year than he was this year um, in part because he's actually going out and getting a lot of the actual offensive line training that you need to have. Now there's just not enough time for coaches to be able to actually have players in to work on stuff in the offseason. It's just been so limited. Veterans made that choice in a lot of ways to try to take care of things on their own versus having to show up for coaches. So it is one of those avenues. Of I think you look back at DJ Humphreys getting work in with Charles Bentley, uh, coming off of some of those injuries in 2019. Suddenly he became a stalwart player who made the Pro Bowl. And <laughs> I think that seeing Josh Jones take some of those steps, it'll just be interesting to see. Does he line up at an offensive line position that is different from what his natural? position which i think is left tackle would be just due to where the cardinals have had structure i think they let justin murray walk knowing that they have josh jones there and really it's going to come down to if arizona approaches the offensive line with a draft pick if they decide to look for a receiver someone on the defensive side in free agency instead what's going to be some of their approach because there is a very interesting scenario in which they decide to say hey dj humphreys is making you know a uh, almost $20 million this year with that cap number, you could save $15 million by releasing him. Um, It's only 4 million in dead money. Could the Cardinals end up potentially maybe not upgrading necessarily, but be able to use that money elsewhere? Or do you look at a restructured slash um, extension, which is what I think they would probably be more apt to do. Uh, Steve Kime and Michael Bidwell seem to like to hold on to players that they have relationship with. More than let them walk. And Humphreys is a free agent in 2023. There's some different options the Cardinals can do if they decide to run it back with this offensive line. I don't know if I would be surprised, but it would be maybe a little bit of a concern, especially if they did decide to go out and not really address boosting the offensive line with someone, especially like you and I have talked about on the interior because that seems to be the spot where kyler he can step up in the pocket he can maybe run around a little bit as long as you get rushers that are you know keeping him somewhat clean in front of him where he can see down the field he's been pretty much improved hudson was such a huge addition that we saw for the most part to the team just this past year and their pass game what are some of your thoughts when it comes to the offensive line and how they might address some of their own maybe not free agents but some other moves to potentially see a new look line in 2022.
1: I, you look at, you look at that offensive line. And I think the biggest thing that was the problem in 2021, and we've said this in so many different areas of the team was they couldn't stay healthy and they couldn't put a consistent five-man unit onto the field. I think from that aspect, running it back isn't going to be the worst thing, but i don't think that they can run it back entirely with that same unit we need to make sure rodney run rodney hudson can stay healthy and stay on the field we need to make sure that kelvin beacham can stay healthy and stay on the field and if not maybe there's a decision to be made there around him and that is where i see josh jones playing his best football is at that right tackle spot he probably could play either side of the line, but in the NFL, I see him really being successful at right tackle, which means there's some interior positions that you really need to address. And I think with Justin Pugh's cap number this year and the money you can save, he's almost an automatic cut. Both those guard positions are, are spots that we as a team really need to address, be it through free agency, be it through the draft. I like a guy, Connor Williams from Dallas, is someone that I quite like at left guard. Does he fit exactly what the team wants to do? I'm not entirely sure about that, but he he can he can play in a power gap scheme. He can play in his own scheme. So I think he has that flexibility. has a little bit of injuries. Whether he then has a price tag that is extortionate, there's Brandon Sheff as well, as, who's a free agent. But it's also somewhere that, is looking like you can target that sort of a spot in the draft bit at twenty three bit somewhere in the middle of the second round. Both both those guard spots for mine, particularly with Kyler Murray, need to be addressed this off season in some way, shape, or form. And I'm I'm very much a, a you build the inside you you build an offensive line from the inside out because. If you're getting a clean pocket to step up into, you can let your tackles have guys run past them and play recovery. And as long as you're you're not getting beaten up on the interior, you're going to have some passing lanes and running lanes for a quarterback to use. I look at how the New Orleans Saints built their offensive line for Drew Brees. Who had Ben Grubbs, who had Jerry Evans, who had really elite guards who were among probably the top four or five guards in the NFL most years on the same team. Um, I would. I don't think I see Arizona going that way, but they need to invest in those two positions.
0: Yeah, you bring up the Saints. I know they had Max Unger for a number of years, went out and got another really good center, uh, trading up to where the Dolphins were, I believe, at least. Uh, They really did do a great job, and one of their players is actually, I believe, a free agent this year, and that will be what we can talk about here next on the ROTV pod. What are some of the free agents that Arizona has – the ability to look at that are on the market what are some different fits kind of go over some of the positions and also what makes sense that'll be here at the last part of the rotb pod And we're back on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. And we're going to talk now about with looking at the free agent market. Let's assume that the Cardinals are able to clear up, uh, you know, enough cap space. They'll be able to sign a few guys, bring back at least maybe one or two. I I could see at least obviously the restructuring a few different players. Uh, If they decided that they wanted to uh, do kind of the average kind of extension slash restructuring, you're looking probably about 40 million in cap space. That's kind of about the average that many teams end up with. It's probably about what Arizona you're looking at with maybe a little bit less this year in some regards because they did end up having, you know, some guys like DJ Humphries had a little bit more room. Chandler Jones obviously had the last year of his deal uh, with the Cardinals, though. They could theoretically, if they just completely cleared cap, get more than that. I don't think this is going to be that level of a rebuild year. I think this is another year, of course, where the Cardinals are trying to go for uh, winning a title. Uh, The question, of course, is, will that mean to giving up draft picks like we saw the Los Angeles Rams do? I'm not quite sure. Uh, Let's go through at least for all this. The Cardinals have obviously some needs that they have. We talked about how they really have a need, at wide receiver two, and probably to some degree, adding a slot receiver Um, more than likely. They'll be able to fill Rondale more into that role. We'll be able to draft another guy somewhat later. You know, there's tight end needs that they have. I don't think that war is out on some of that. The biggest area, of course, will be will they bring in a veteran offensive lineman versus kind of running it back and drafting a player? Will they look at the defensive line? Uh, They'll be obviously moving on from a player or two, such as Jordan Phillips, J.J. Watts in the final year of his deal. How beat up he's been. You also wonder if that may be the final year of his career one way or another. Will he be going back to the market for another big deal? Uh, The biggest areas I think at least you can line up is it's going to be in seeing some of those building the lines but the skill position players such as wide receiver and the guys who cover them in the cornerback market i think that there's quite a bit that is here in free agency that the cardinals could look at and i'm kind of curious at least for you kent where do you start with if you're the cardinals you're in this spot looking at the free agent market what's kind of the first position you're looking at and what are some of the players there that you think the cardinals should be targeting as they kind of enter uh, this offseason
1: Uh, I think the real spots, wide receiver two, and we know the mold of of that sort of of guy, which I'll go into a little bit further. The offensive line, the defensive line, an edge defender, and corner. Those are the five areas that I am looking to really improve. Your wide receiver two, you look at how the offense set up all year with a DeAndre Hopkins and an AJ Green or an AJ Green and an Antoine Wesley, your outside receivers are your big, tall, contested catch guys. They're going to go up, when one-on-one. They're going to be running vertical. They're going to be asking, Kyler is going to be asking these guys to win the 50-50 balls, to win their one-on-one matchups consistently. Uh, in the draft, sorry, in in free agency, I think there's, Within reason, probably three or four guys that really fit. I think Mike Williams is probably the top of that kind of a receiver. I think he is perfect schematically for what Arizona wants to do. He's probably going to be a a lot expensive for what they want to do at that position. And Um, a lot of health. That's the other thing with him. The the health is the big thing with him. Chris Godwin is another one that I think can probably fill that role despite not being the exact size that you would probably want. I know a lot of people have talked about Alan Robinson where health is is an issue at that position as well. I I think that this is a position that you avoid in free agency. I don't think you're going to get the kind of player you want at the right value, despite it being quite a deep free agent market at the position I look to the draft of this position.
0: Yeah, that's going to be something that may be the case as far as for each of those. Like you mentioned, Godwin, I think Godwin is a perfect example of a big slot receiver type. um, When you're talking about him, he's also probably going to be one of the best type of places. He's a good Z receiver, he can basically go off and be a zone beater um it's one of those weird avenues for the most part where he's also only 25 years old which is part of why when you're saying that he's going to get paid a lot of money i don't view Devonte adams as realistic he either stays in green bay or will be franchised but to the some point where he would be the traded he's probably going to be also getting deandre hopkins type of money so some of these i think fans at least know understand it gets into kind of some of the different areas of Is there a player that's maybe not quite an A.J. Green, but an A.J. Green light that you'd be able to find who could fill some of that role for the most part? And I think one of the guys that you maybe kind of look at in that regard for this offense is you look at, you know, the likes of a DJ Shark who's had injury issues, had two very solid years before falling off. He probably fits more of a number three type overall versus a number two um, but as a deep threat and a guy who can be able to score touchdowns, that's something that I think is a great fit for the offense. Um, the one thing that I'd be curious about, and I don't think the Cardinals get him would be, you could also look at like people have mentioned Allen Robinson. Part of that's because he wasn't having essentially with a history of bad quarterbacks throwing him. The ball was putting up elite grades up until this year when he was both phased out of the offense and really not a part of it. This is a guy who within free agency You're probably talking about $15 million a year still. That's at age 28. I think the Cardinals have shown that they're able to win games with DeAndre Hopkins and having a slew of good but not necessarily great wide receivers behind them. I think that that would be part of what motivates this approach as well. Um, It's going to be interesting to see if the team does decide that they need a speed threat or a deep type of player. I'd be more tempted to say maybe you could look to the likes of – I was going to say at least if you think you can get maybe a Marquis Valdez Scantling for two years with some incentives with an optional third year because you say, hey, we just need a deep threat. We don't care about red zone. We don't care about some of that. Just have a guy that is fast and lines up outside because we want to mirror the 2018 uh, Oklahoma offense where you saw Hollywood Brown was used a ton outside. We've seen that with. Demir Bird before as well, in Kyler's rookie year, was able to get open and make some of those big plays happen. He didn't have to necessarily be a big, tall player. If that's the case and we see Cliff's offense has been more built around adapting to some of those guys, maybe they adapted to A.J. Green because all he was at that point was a big, outside, deep threat guy who could go up for it. I think I agree with you that with the size and with Kyler and some of those places that there's some level adapting that they get to but I think in a lot of avenues, it seems like the way Arizona has been built is having smaller slot receivers on the inside, bigger wide receivers on the outside. And that kind of is much more of the NFL type of model. I'm not sure if that's the best model for Kyler over the middle. Um, maybe you need to have a large tight end or a big wide receiver at some regard. But I do think I agree with you that there's probably a guy that they'll sign just so that they're not forced into that role. It'll just be really interesting if they decide to sign much more of these um Kind of the, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Um, More of like a one-year deal for a type of player. Maybe it's a smaller two-year deal, just kind of hedging your bet on Rondale Moore a bit. One interesting approach someone brought up to me I thought was fascinating was, could the Cardinals go after a one-year deal for Odell Beckham Jr.? We saw the play that he's able to do outside and in the slot from multiple places. And part of their motivation was, could you steal him away from the Rams pay him a bit more and then try to weaken your opponent i usually think it's better to strengthen yourself than weaken your opponent but i thought that was a interesting type of way to go around it um i think overall like you're right kent the biggest thing is if you're looking at the areas of christian kirk is going to be getting maybe a three-year deal at 10 million plus a year and he's going to be like maybe the 10th or 11th guy in this class you probably and you're saying I don't want to pay that money you are probably not going to get any of these top 10 guys in the class you'll probably be passing on most of this in free agency for the most part and I think that's going to be the question is is that wise for the Cardinals to do since we've really seen how important it is for Arizona and you know going into this season we said Hopkins doesn't miss games he's played for that well he then went on to miss three games and then missed the rest of the season with injuries if he ends up having more injury issues, which was some people rumored was part of the reason why Houston was willing to move on from him, was questions about his long term health. Suddenly you enter into 2023 where you're like, hey, we basically passing all these guys. Hopkins is hurt. Rondale Moore is the best option we have. That's not a place you're going to want to be with Kyler Murray on this type of a contract. So I think that's just the question of should the Cardinals go and make more of an effort for this in free agency? versus the draft or is like you said, I think the best route to simply just put that as being a huge mile marker that they go after, even in the first round of the draft.
1: And you you mentioned the one guy who I, who I think is possibly attainable and fits very well in Marquez Valdez Scantling. I think that's probably the prototype sort of guy that the team is going to look after. Um, I also think, possibly more along the aj green route a guy like sammy watkins on a one-year deal could could fit potentially on the outside he's got the physicality to to dominate number two receivers and win at the catch point which kyler is going to ask you to do really really like what he can possibly bring on a one-year deal as 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 that sort of stopgap option but i i think somewhere in that top 60 or 70 picks Arizona really needs to go out and find that that target who can be their number two or or if DeAndre Hopkins goes down again can be that number one option in a a pinch that means that the offense isn't going to fall off a cliff without their top receiver
0: Yeah, and that was the case of I think everyone was expecting that Green and Kirk could step up. Rondell Moore obviously got hurt, and really it was Ertz was the main target that they had. Um, I think a lot of it is, like you said, it shows that going back to where we had a lot of people talking about the likes of C.D. Lamb, and perhaps that's hindsight considering now we've seen with Hopkins getting hurt beforehand, no one was talking about C.D. Lamb. Isaiah Simmons was making plays. A.J. Green was having a renaissance. And uh, I think with Kirk, we've seen the way that they used him was not – a not in the typical slot method even it was like he became kind of their big play guy from the slot two or three times a game on these deep targets some went perfectly others did not he was a very uh low volume high efficiency type of guy where kyler would be able to throw to him when it was getting him the ball he would be able to secure it um the one that'll be interesting i think before we move on from wide receiver that is kind of what people have called the ultimate tease, which is a Will Fuller, reuniting him with DeAndre Hopkins, becoming the fully Arizona Texans. He spent a year and got 65 snaps in Miami and then just disappeared. No one knows why. There was offseason issues with PED and trainers. There, um, Most people believe that he was given a supplement that he didn't know that he was taking, needed to be aware of it versus it being a malicious type of area. He's kind of a guy that maybe if you put on a one-year deal, because every offense he's been on is a deep threat. He's been productive and has made them better. But he's also missed like half the season due to injury. And that's the type of deal with Arizona that's made it tough is you really have seen that you can't have a lot of those type of guys that you don't count on. Because when you're talking about late in the season or even being in the NFC West, you can probably get away with the Houston Texans with winning the division in a bad AFC South. It's really hard to do that with the talent level that the NFC West has accumulated. Uh, let's go and talk about with other positions. The biggest one that I think after even looking at wide receiver two with the availability is the edge rushers. Chandler Jones is the top guy on the free agent market. I think when you look at, and this is maybe a little bit more now, Brenton Buckner, the defensive line coach going to Jacksonville, you look at the success Jacksonville had when they took Calais Campbell at age 30 away from Arizona the amount of money Jacksonville has to spend, I think that they would go after Chandler Jones, pair him with the other Josh Allen that they have down there. And I think that they're going to be willing to pay him more because not only do they have money to burn, you want to make sure you're spending a certain amount of money. I think that this is a second year in which they're going to want to try to prove they can win games in Jacksonville a little bit quicker, uh, especially given the fact that their general manager, Trent Baalke, is definitely a guy who many people thought would be pushed out after his first season being there with the team. What are your thoughts on some of the edge rushers? Because I think a lot of the players, at least on the Cardinals, that you're seeing, you could probably sign to a one-year deal and be able to get production uh, and as far as for winning now. It's hard to see, guys, that you could give multi-year deals for the most part on this market because the best players you give multi-year Long-term deals too are the guys who just get re-signed to their team for max amount of money. They don't really ever hit the free agent market. So you're looking at a older team base to begin with or older player base. I should say to begin with.
1: Yeah, it's, I also look at what what the team's looking for on on the edge in that in that kind of role to replace Chandler Jones. Is you're always going to have Marcus Golden being the energy guy off the other 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 end, almost the third down pass rusher type. We saw early in the season we had Chandler Jones and Isaiah Simmons playing in the base edge positions with Zayvon Collins and Jordan Hicks at inside linebacker. I really like that look, but we need that sort of three down edge guy to come in and play. I like the look of Harold Landry. I don't think he makes Tennessee state borders before he's re-signed. Past him, you're looking at a big big chunk of these guys being very pigeonholed, being very either pass rush heavy. You know, they're not going to hold up on rundowns. I've seen Dante Fowler come up in some discussions who I think would be a fit, but where where that fits, he could be a, a Devon Canard type player. I, You know, the guy who looks good somewhere, but doesn't really fit in. I've seen possible rumors about Zadarius Smith getting released in Green Bay. I would love to be all over that. I actually have, I think the best fit for Arizona in this free agent market is a guy like Jadavian Clowney, who is you know he's going to really perform against the run and he's the kind of guy who'll give you that pressure off one edge that's going to chase guys into Marcus Golden i i think going back to his time in Houston where he was playing off the edge there in in that 3-4 defense i i really like how he could fit in Arizona I just don't know what kind of money he's gonna command, whether he wants another one year deal, what kind of what what his health situation is. I I do like what he brings on the field though.
0: When it comes to a guy like Clowney, I think that you're right in seeing with the athleticism that he is really a three down player and one of the better edge defenders in the league and also he's able to get pressure and mismatch in the pass rushing situations. You can flex him inside as well, just given with the versatility. What's interesting, I think, for the most part, is Clowney's never been that type of guy who's really a number one pass rusher. He's always been at his best when he's the second option on a team. Like, you look at his success with J.J. Watt, look at his success even now with Miles Garrett. Can Marcus Golden step up and be that guy, or do you feel comfortable then with two of those kind of maybe number two level pass rushers for the most part, because I think when you're looking at the player that interestingly enough ends up fitting the best, the probable best fit, at least for the Cardinals you've even seen it before would be the likes of Hassan Reddick, given how aggressive their defense is, how we've seen them use the blitz. And that's a player that I think we can say he was really good in Arizona in terms of just run after the passer Or when you're playing in man coverage, you simply play man against this tight end on the strong side. And he could do that with his athleticism. There was nothing else that he really could do. Uh, He wasn't a guy who you could play zone coverage with for the most part. He wasn't even a stable run defender for the most part when you're talking about that. It was a spot where you wanted to get him unblocked opportunities or kind of match him up in that Chandler Jones role where Chandler Jones is taking on one-on-one coverage, or you'd be like, Oh, they put a tight end on Chandler Jones one-on-one and Russell Wilson's going down. That's uh that's great. He's positive, but it's a spot where I think that this is probably a spot where I think that I agree with you where I don't know if he leaves Carolina because they don't really have a better option and they're probably going to be needing to go quarterback at some point just to buy some time for that staff. Most of the other players, like a Justin Houston, a Jerry Hughes, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul types, um, even the recently released Dante Fowler Jr., these are all rotational players who maybe you can look at signing a pass rusher, like a a good example would be a Justin Houston, a player the Cardinals decided to pass on, I believe, for the likes of a Rob Housler. Unfortunately, uh, this is one of the spots where we've seen a couple of these players or spots Arizona may have regrets over. It's one of those spots of where I think this could be served with a first round pass rusher, considering the fact that Arizona is in a spot where it's a good draft that's deep for pass rushers. You get that guy in the next four years could take over from Marcus Golden while learning, have another veteran who could be situational. The hard part of course, that comes up with this Kent and we can talk about this more is you only have one first round pick and you could probably assign three or four different positions that the Cardinals could have a first round need at or addressing said need for the long-term. I think this is one of the closer ones where if you're talking about spending a first on a number two wide receiver or an edge, I think this would be one of the two places that you could look at that being in the offseason, depending on how they build and say, yes, we could see this being an edge rusher at 23, not just because of the class, but because of it fitting some of the team needs as well. I agree with you that I think if there was one player I'd try to go after, it wouldn't be a Randy Gregory type. It wouldn't be an Emmanuel Ogba type for the most part. It wouldn't really even be a Hassan Reddick type. I do think I'd try to go after the likes of Clowney, reunite him with Watt. I just don't know if he's going to leave Cleveland um, or be looking for, as far as of how long he was a free agent, he may be looking for a sizable deal and willing to hold out for that in free agency. It's going to be interesting to see what the Cardinals do because we have not seen this team really without an edge rusher since Chandler Jones came into town. And I would argue that Despite the fact that those Carlos Dansby Darrell Washington years were solid, we haven't seen enough from the two linebackers to put Arizona in a place where they can just do that and be able to say, sure, Marcus Golden, he's going to get the job done age 31 last year of his deal. They're going to need to bring in someone who can rush the passer, especially in a spot where if you talk about Matthew Stafford, Trey Lance and whatever happens to Russell Wilson, Cardinals need to keep up in the division. And one of the best ways they can do that is by forcing turnovers, getting pressure on these quarterbacks with their edge rush.
1: And there's there's plenty of guys out there who can be that rotational pass rush guy. 100%. Mel, Melvin, Melvin Ingram is another name there that, that is possibility. It comes down to money. Charles Harris from Detroit. Guys who are going to be that probably a two-down edge defender – it all comes back to what? What do you want to find at that position? Do I want to find a guy who can play off the edge, three downs, or do I want to prioritize pass rushing and I can? I can fill that first down through scheme, through possibly putting another defensive lineman on the field by figuring out exactly maybe maybe we run a, a different front on on first down. All sorts of different things that you can do in that defense. But but I think pass rushing is probably going to be... Well, pass rushing, the ability to rush the passer is always a key commodity in the NFL. That's going to be your number one option. How do you get that? It's, look, it's a very difficult spot to be in. All of these free agent edge defenders are going to be expensive unless you can really sneak in at the back end and maybe a Jason Pierre-Paul hasn't signed anywhere and you can get him on one year at 4 million or a Charles Harris hasn't signed somewhere or Jerry Hughes hasn't signed anywhere. I can't see any of these guys not being on teams right at the back end. I don't I don't see a John Abraham or a Dwight Freeney sitting on the market just before training camp or, or halfway through training camp. So yeah, the, dra- the draft is going to be, your number one option probably there as well but I think you have to attack this market more than you would the wide receiver market
0: yeah that I would agree with at least in that regard let's talk about the other spot that I think and this is kind of in the top three of places the Cardinals could go as far as for large needs I don't think it's the I think you would love to put the defensive line here but I just don't think that it's a very good defensive line free agent class and I think that you already while you may already have your difference maker in J.J. Watt. You'd probably be bringing in a guy on hopefully a multi-year deal, because Arizona's just affected things so much as far as for with trying to just trust Corey Peters and not have have just not really been able to hit on places in the draft for the defensive line. I do think that that may be one of the areas that you would speak out and try to address quickly, just because it makes room easier on your linebackers, allows them to move around. Arizona's been gashed against the run. They Seemed like it just fall apart when J.J. Watt went out as far as for consistency and making plays in the run defense. But the last spot is cornerback. And, Kent, I know you're a big guy with corners um, looking at having coverage, how important that is. I lean a little bit more toward in that weird avenue of the corner coverage affects pass rush, pass rush affects corner coverage. I think we've seen with the Cardinals maybe the way they've built their team. We've seen sizable play of, you know, I guess uh, – Making chicken shallot out of chicken, you know, from what Vance Joseph has done, given the likes of Byron Murphy, Robert Alford, and then a rookie in Marco Wilson, to the point where, you know, the Cardinals saw the outside starting cornerback retire and didn't feel like he was that missed when you're talking about for Malcolm Butler. I think you missed him later in the season, obviously, but this is a free agent corner class that has some really intriguing names at the top of it. And then there's Quite a heavy drop-off that you get, I think, after the first five or so guys. Let's let's talk a little bit about the top two guys, former New England Patriots in J.C. Jackson and Stephon Gilmore, both of whom are probably guys who I think could be fit for Arizona since you look at how they're outside cornerbacks. They're playing in a man-heavy scheme. This is one of the places where if Vance Joseph is wanting guys who can force turnovers, both of those guys really are solid fits the question is is the price going to be something that Arizona is going to be able to afford for the most part i think that may be if you said there's one spot or player that Arizona could throw a lot of money at i do wonder if jc jackson might be that guy
1: that's definitely where Arizona needs to throw their money given the corner market as it sits and the jc jackson has to be your number one guy He's 26. He's going to be around for a long time. He's proven in, as an outside corner in heavy man scheme, or if not man, you're talking cover three sort of, sort of coverages. That is exactly where Vance wants his guys to play. You're going to, be, you're going to be playing a third, or you're going to be in man, or you're going to be playing a quarter. One of those sort of sort of three things is what you're doing in Arizona as your outside corner. JC Jackson fits exactly what they want. I think possibly a guy like Carlton Davis, if they went a lot more cover three quarters heavy than they went man heavy, would be a very good target given his size, his age, his quality. Stefan Gilmore is more of your one, two-year deal kind of a corner, which may appeal to how Steve Kime wants to attack the air he may he may be a guy who is looking to play on a contender whether that helps or hinders Arizona I'm not entirely sure but he's definitely a guy you'd you'd be looking for at that position the other guy that I like sort of at the at the top ish end he's not probably the elite guy but it, it really depends on How much you're willing to pay him and how well you think he can become a number one corner as opposed to a number two corner is Chavarius Ward from Kansas City, who I think is that next level down. You're not going to have to pay him as much. You're going to be a lot better off financially and cap room-wise, but you're probably going to be losing a, a decent chunk on the field as well, especially when you know that your current number two corner cannot be a number one guy. He is a number two on the outside and play the slot, which is your Byron Murphy. You know that Marco Wilson is best suited to be your first guy off the bench to play outside corner with Byron Murphy in the slot and whomever, which I think JC Jackson is the guy you have to chase. In such such a a top-heavy corner class, when you've got a chance to sign a guy who is that good, Does he make it out in New England?
0: Yeah, definitely. It seems like that he's one of those players that could go to like a Dallas or a New Orleans for the most part as far as these teams that are trying to kind of make the postseason each year. I think Arizona is, like you said, the team that probably should go and chase him because of how much they play this man-heavy scheme. Now, if the Cardinals decided to make a defensive shift to more of a 4-3 defense and then decided to capitalize on – you know loading up on their interior defensive line using their linebackers a lot in coverage playing more zone coverage overall which they did that in the second half of the season some of that i think though was out of need because they just didn't have the horses that could win in man they were just getting beat time after time again and trying to stop the bleeding they're also down to corners 5 and 6 due to health um I think that, like you said, Stefan Gilmore at 31, he's been the guy who's the bigger name for the most part. He's also the guy who's five years older than Jackson. If you can get him on like a one-year type of a deal for the most part, I just don't think he's going to go to anything less than, you know, one of those teams that's contending. And like you said, it'll be interesting to see if Bill Belichick chooses to pay J.C. Jackson over the number of years since he kind of for years was able to be that number two behind Gilmore. Gilmore won away and he, didn't drop off at all whatsoever that's probably your number one type of player um i know some people have talked about the dolphins and their trade market they've seemed to want a first round picker more for their cornerback and it seems very much like if the cardinals go back to the well of trying to trade for one of those type of players you're really in a, a spot in a year where um you probably could go that route to address it but Then you're either going to be having to trade for them and then pay them, which is a double whammy. And I feel like I would be like in the same regard as you just paying the player, keeping that pick, using it elsewhere, hoping for that to be able to hit. Um, Let's go and kind of talk a little bit with as we kind of wrap up. We've talked already about with tight end. I don't think they approached anything of the tight end market talked about with cornerbacks. I think I agree with you, Shatarius Ward will be interesting if you essentially say we can build a team around number two corners and say hey we've got byron's a number two javerius is a number two marco's probably closer to a number two if you have a bunch of number two corners versus a team that has a number one corner and then a number two a three and a four and a five maybe that's a way that you can go and attack the situation Um, but i think at least with arizona there's some guys who are very much more of the zone heavy type of player. And I think at least unless something really changes for the most part, you're probably going to be seeing the Cardinals with Vance Joseph playing a lot more of this, um, press man um, defense. And we'll see how that turns out for the most part, because that may, you know, I think for me, if you do get JC Jackson, whether or not your scheme changes, he's shown, I think enough talent for the most part that if the Cardinals did switch to his own heavy scheme. I wouldn't have any worry or concern more as if I would worry a lot. If Arizona took this current group of corners changed to his own heavy scheme, that may be a plus. It would be a negative for a guy like Shavarius Ward for the most part, or a guy, um, like say a, I think it was, was it DJ Reed, uh, junior? It's so zone heavy that you're not going to be able to play man at all <laughs> for some of these different players for the most part. Uh, let's talk with the last portion with the offensive line and defensive line. It's going to be interesting. I think at least with these interior defenders, the one name that stands out to most Cardinal fans, as it probably should would be Calais Campbell, who at age 35 is unsigned played on a one year essential de- Uh, left in his deal after being traded from the Jaguars. There doesn't seem to be that much lost love between him and the Cardinals. It wasn't like he left upset. He actually seemingly wanted to return to the team, but just the team wasn't going to be able to pay him what he was going to get on the free agent market. I think the biggest names that stand out here, for the most part at least, is if you're the Cardinals, is going to be the likes of a BJ and a DJ. They're not going to probably be able to get after a Hakeem Hicks unless they switch to a 4-3 he's a good run defender he's not been a great nose tackle Arizona does kind of need a nose tackle but they also could use a guy on the other side of Watts Um, in addition to Zach Allen BJ Hill at least is a guy who I think at least when you're looking at it he maybe is a guy with Arizona runs their defense that is just there to stuff the run but he's young he ended up playing with Cincinnati did a great part for the most part with them at least and he's essentially been a huge positive against the run. He's not a guy who is a huge pass rusher for the most part, but with how Arizona's issues have been against the run, you put him back with JJ Watt. You put him out there with the other players. Arizona has maybe a lucky foe two can take a step up. He's probably one of the guys that you could probably get, and it wouldn't break the bank. DJ Jones is the guy for the most part that if you're looking for a specific nose tackle, um, He's a guy who just was lined up in the a gap for the most part. He had a lot of pressures in 2021 with the Niners. This is after they of course had paid, uh, I believe Armstrong, I believe they had paid. They have Nick Bosa there for the most part. It's going to be really interesting because when you talk about these type of guys who have a career year and pressures go into free agency, um, sometimes get overpaid. I think that's exactly the case. The Cardinals just saw with the guy who had gotten sacks instead. Um, or the current defensive lineman who they're going to let go of. It seems to me like this is another spot where I think you have to almost make a splash to address because I don't think the Cardinals are going to be drafting a defensive tackle early in the draft. I feel like Steve Keim has wanted to take that approach for the past few years. Um, it just feels like the way their team has been constructed, you've got enough guys leaving on offense. I feel like that the Cardinals should at least address it on offense or at the edge rush. I'd look at B.J. Hill or D.J. Jones. There's some other guys that are out there, like Linval Joseph. Sebastian Joseph Day is another defensive tackle. He's made plays with the Rams. Some other bigger names out there include Sheldon Richardson, Daquan Jones. These are more of these guys who I think are older and maybe more rotational or are going to be much more of a nose tackle only. Arizona's played a lot of different fronts that are there. Um, the one, pl- there's probably one other player and we'll talk about him after this, at least when we talk about it, that I think you can make a push at for Arizona, who's a bit older, but what are some of your thoughts on the defensive line quickly before we move to the offensive line spot?
1: It's just not a particularly good class of free agents yeah. there. And, and I, and I think the big reason for that is as the, as the league has evolved, you don't see the kind of interior defensive linemen who can play the run and rush the passer right. show up very often at all. So teams are keeping a hold of those kinds of guys. You've seen a team like San Francisco invest heavily into their defensive line. I It really depends what you want to go after. I like a guy like Folloranzo Fatakasi from the Jets, but he is... He's your early down run defender who's going to come off the field. How much are you willing to pay that kind of a guy? Probably not more than what either the Jets are going to pay to retain him or another team that's going to keep him on the field as a run defender a little bit longer or possibly even on third downs as well as a secondary block eater in a four down line. B.J. Hill's probably the best guy on the market. That is, is realistic. We've talked through him a little bit. Um, Malik Collins, you're going to need to scheme up a lot around him. There's, there's just not a lot of quality or ability there that I, I just don't see anyone really being able to impact the game that well at that position unless... And this may be the guy that you you were talking about. You you look at a guy like and Sue. Does he want to sign one a one year deal somewhere? Does it do? Do we do we see him being able to produce something somewhere? Um, but yeah, Calais Campbell on a one year deal, I would love. Should have never left, but obviously money is a, is a barrier to a lot of free agent signings. But yeah. I would love to see the position addressed in free agency. I just I just don't see where the quality comes from. And I, I think the best path the Cardinals can probably take here is you put pressure on Rashad Lawrence, you put pressure on Michael Dogby, you put pressure on Zach Allen, and you put pressure on Likifo to to really step up and become the players that you thought they were going to be.
0: Right. That's one of the areas with Arizona, like you mentioned, that's toughest is – The run defense has been so bad, you almost have to address it in some form of aggressive fashion on the defensive tackle aspect. We saw late when Arizona kept having defensive tackles drop like flies or when J.J. Watt left that the run defense, which had been not great, uh, it just really took on a whole brand new level of low once teams could just run past their defensive line. Um, Sue is the guy that I was going to bring up at least as far as the one-year deal. He has really just not come off the field in his career and at 35 years old, he's been banged up um, his uh, 2017 2016 years were elite or borderline elite with Miami. And he's just gotten kind of worse each year, still showed enough of an impact down the stretch with Tampa Bay, but he wasn't really the main guy. It was really a Vita Veya and him on the other side to the point where, you know, you had to kind of pick your poison with running the ball, that stopping of running the ball, essentially forced teams to have to really throw it. And they had some, great pass rushers with JPP uh, and then their other underrated pass rusher on the other side, who I'm trying to remember his name for the most part. It's escaping me for now. Um, he led the league in sacks. That's right. I was thinking Shaq in my head to Barrett. They've really just had fantastic defensive lines with the Bucks. He's been a part of that. It's just, he's declined for the most part. Well, last year, it was like, he was an afterthought for the most part. Could giving him a rotational role be one of those things, bringing in, A guy who's like that with him and JJ essentially on one-year deals. You're like, oh, Sue and Watt. Okay, they're both older, but they both made an impact. It's kind of been, I think, some of the Steve Keim approach in the past. Uh, Maybe giving him a rotational role. Like, you could see, hey, he's in there on first down for the most part. They're in second down, on third down when the teams are passing. Then he comes off the field for a series. You rotate in some other guys who are there for the most part. Um, putting him and Watts staggering out a little bit. And then for some of those high leverage third down situations, you're able to run him in. That's going to be something that we'll see. I kind of am with you, though, that's not a great defensive tackle class overall. The one last place we'll talk about for the most part here tonight is the offensive line. And there's actual talent in this thought. You're talking, obviously, about one of the best guards in football and Brandon Scherf. So other guys that we mentioned, I think, with Connor Williams. You've seen at least James Daniels, who I believe played center for a season in New England, but is able to come in as only 24 years old. There's also some other guys who've been around the block a little bit, such as an Andrew Norvell. Um, looking at least at how Tri Turner was a guy who was a starting guard, for the most part, who was at one point kind of an elite player, got paid like it, just like how um, Norvell did, and then just really didn't live up to that contract. We've seen a lot of this in football where a lot of players ultimately assign large deals and then we'll go on to realize okay if the team really felt they were elite would have kept them they probably would have paid them to stay it'll be interesting to see if they do move on from Scherf I could see it being a spot where he just goes to the Jets because the Jets have money and can pay him they have a young garden Elijah Vera Tucker adding a second one and being able to run the ball would be something that feels like would be right up their alley for the coaching staff that's in place the one player that stands out to me in this and you and I might I think have been in agreement with is a Connor Williams I think at worst he could be like how Justin Pugh was when the Cardinals signed him starting caliber guard who could have some high level play he's been much more of a zone guy in Dallas but people have mentioned that whenever they've had polling plays he's an athletic enough guy in space that's something that Kingsbury has really wanted in his interior linemen is being able to you know, get out there and pull since they run some of that power scheme. The biggest thing with Williams is he's kind of like how Justin Pugh, not necessarily the best in pass protection. Pugh had one high-level season of pass protection, and then we've seen issues since then. Signing him to be a guy who is in this division with the likes of Aaron Donald with the interior rushers, it's going to be then kind of a spot where are you going to be improving upon the likes of Justin Pugh? I'm not sure as much that you would be, but you still need to fill it. And with him as young as he is with him and Daniels being about 24 years old, I think that what I could see being the case in this spot is maybe you either invest in one of those guys so that you take it off the table in the first round in Arizona, say that you're like, Hey, we're going to invest in this offseason offensive defensive line. We want a wide receiver too. We're hitting the draft for it. That may be one approach. What we'd, could see on the other side might be the Cardinals go and just bring back Justin Pugh at a lower rate and look at investing in the first round of the draft for an offensive line. What are your thoughts for what Arizona could pursue when it comes to the offensive line in free agency?
1: I, I like the depth of the class. And, and as you say earlier, there was a lot of these guys that hit the free agent market. There's there's something not quite right with their current team. That leads them to either exceed expectations elsewhere or fall well short of expectations elsewhere. The A lot of offensive linemen will leave teams because they're a little bit banged up. They know that there's a health issue there that a new team won't pick up. For me, one of the most important parts of building an offensive line is what do they do well? Where do they win? And what schematics do they fit best in? I like a guy... Not sure if you mentioned him a guy. Like Lakin Tomlinson from San Francisco, who, while playing in SF, has done a lot in, in zone work. He can play both schemes. I'm not sure how good he is pulling. I haven't delved into it, but I like his sort of value there. He is the older guard, which is sort of why I lean towards O'Connor Williams. Austin Corbett from the Rams again is probably a guy who would be an improvement at that position. I, I want to see Arizona really look at free agency for the offensive line because I think you're going to get the best value for, for free agent money on the offensive line when you compare it to a wide receiver when you're really looking at what are our, what are our three key first-round options. You've got your wide receiver, you've got interior offensive line, and you've got an edge rusher. I think among those three free agent markets, Your top end of your scheme fits at receiver are guys with injury queries. Your edge market doesn't really exist. Your guard market is the one that you can really attack and try and settle before you go to the draft. It doesn't take it off your draft board, but it is a position that you can then be a lot more comfortable coming into the, the draft with having... An experienced free agent signing there that you are expecting to start for you. Be it, I look, I really I really like Connor Williams. I like his age. I like his profile. Um, he can hold up in pass protection. He gets beaten a little bit against some length, but I like I like him. Austin Corbett is probably the number two guy I would look at there again. The age, the profile, being able to to pass protect very well, as well as play both zone and gap, it, it sort of fits for me. James Daniels, I kind of like, but I'm not sure how well he goes schematically and what Arizona wants to do. is probably the other guy who you know is a quality starting power guard who's going to cost you a lot less. Um but he's, he's probably might be more comfortable on the right side. I'm not sure whether he's really been playing on the right or the left the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, there's plenty, plenty of names and spots there that I can see improving the offensive line. And it seems to me that the most... The, the, the spot that makes the most sense to target in free agency outside of corner because it it helps make some of your decisions come draft day as well.
0: Yeah, definitely agree there. We didn't talk as much about the tackles, and some of that is because there's a good chance that Arizona is locked in with their tackle situation. You're probably going to see Humphreys there. You obviously are um, looking at least with having one more year on a pretty uh, low-caliber deal with Kelvin Beecham. And Josh Jones, of course, is – At worst, even if you move off of one of those, he could probably step into the other role. There is one other possibility that would be really interesting to me, which would be if Arizona decided that they wanted to move off of DJ Humphreys and the $15 million deal that he's getting uh, for this year at the team, and rather than extend him, just say, we can do better for that move, and move to the likes of a Terran Armstead who's at 30 years old, a bit older prospect coming out, but is like an elite, like high-end starting left tackle. We're like, hey, we're paying Humphreys $15 million a year. We'll probably have to continue to pay him that if we extend him. Why don't we instead upgrade at the position? That would be one possibility that I could see where maybe they'd go after that, but you'd have to then – basically move on from him only knowing that you're going to be getting Armstead in free agency. Doing all that behind the scenes is tough. A lot of times it's, you know, you don't want it to be a spot where you're like, oh yeah, we've got him. He's going to be the player. And then a team like the Chargers who swooped out last year to be able to get a starting caliber center just paid him a bit more. The other thing that's interesting, at least as an approach, and someone brought this up to me at least, and I didn't think about it much of at the time, but it kind of grew on me after a little while is I don't think that Orlando Brown Jr. is going to leave the Chiefs potentially because after they gave up that first-round pick for him, you'd think that they would pay and extend him. But with how much issues they've run into with a lot of the talent they've had in other places like Tyron Matthews is going to be a free agent from this year, someone brought up the idea of if the Cardinals could go after Orlando Brown Jr. and recognize that he may be someone who's familiar with Kyler Murray having played with him that one year in college, is it something that perhaps they could get a little bit more – caliber tackle play especially when it comes to him running is that something where he could then be a guy that you you know plug in at your right at your right tackle spot for a long period of time then you end up having josh jones flip over to the left or do you put him at the left tackle as your better pass protector he's dependable but not quite elite like armstead but he's also five years younger i just don't know if i see them actively trying to create a new issue at tackle unless there's an actual room that they could upgrade it makes sense, I think, in a logical standpoint to be able to say, oh, yeah, sure, I'd cut DJ Humphreys if I could get Taron Armstead all day. I just don't know if it makes sense in a football standpoint for the most part to be able to make one of those different moves, especially if you have to make that move before you get to the free agency and new year type of a market. Uh, I agree with you that um, I think that the interior offensive line is a spot you'd love to see them move. If they do go towards that, then I think there's a less likely chance that they would go after, you know, the likes of a Zion Johnson or a, one of these players who's in the draft in the first round. It would definitely solve that type of a problem as well, where that way you're not necessarily having to rely on multiple rookies. You keep veteran linemen in front of Kyler Murray. It'll just be interesting to see well, how they approach it because one way or the other you're in for year number three of Josh Jones this next year. And then when 2023 you're in for rebuilding that offensive line, Rodney Hudson's no longer under contract. You know, you have Josh Jones is in the last year of his deal and that's it. (laughs) There's really not a lot you have going for you with the Cardinals on that offensive line. It's why I think with you that they probably could sign a guy to a multi-year deal. If just because from a team building standpoint, you don't want to be in a spot where you're looking at having to address multiple positions on a certain spot, uh, like the lines, and that's something that Arizona is clearing cap, obviously, for some sort of Murray extension. But like you said, you also don't want to then extend said quarterback and say, "All right, time to get you three rookies on the offensive line. Go get them, Tagger."
1: <laughs> and I, I look, I've I floated the idea of moving on from a DJ Humphreys, moving on from a Justin Pugh and you can pay a very good offensive line coming out of free agency this year. It will be all of your free agency money invested, but there are guys who you can plug and play as starters along the offensive line. I just don't think it's, it's something you do in Madden. You're not going to do that in real life. I know the chiefs rebuilt an entire offensive line last off season, but that was through a number of different methods. I also look at Teron Armstead who, has not played a full season in his career.
0: Hmm,
1: He's, over the last six seasons, he's missed at least six games in four of those six seasons. So for a guy who probably isn't going to play 16 games for you, do you want to get rid of your DJ Humphreys to put him there at at left tackle? I'm not, not entirely sure that's something you'd want to do. Um, but look, there's, there's a few other guys there that you can pay. Orlando Brown's clearly the standout young tackle, um, but he's going to be a lot more suited on the right-hand side. You're looking possibly a Trent Brown, Eric Fisher, Morgan Moses, all sorts of guys who would probably slot in on that right side. But I, I don't see that right-hand side as being any kind of an issue with both Calvin Beecham and Josh Jones already on the roster. I I just don't see – there's probably no value in Arizona creating an issue at left tackle when they have issues at both guard spots as well as a number of other spots on the team.
0: Right. I think that's one of the places where it'd be a bold type of move. Uh, It would probably be an improvement type of move. I think we'll see what happens with Humphreys as well with the extension. He's obviously stayed healthy during this contract. He hadn't been before. There's some issues maybe with his knee that people have wondered about, but when you've got a guy who's been continually durable, even if he's not necessarily going to be, he's still also young enough to the point and is enough of a leader on the team where I agree with you that I don't see them simply just saying, hey, we're going to take a DJ Humphreys, and instead of rather pushing his salary back, giving him an extension at 28 years old, go out and pay a 25-year-old just because you know he may end up fitting a little bit better at a right tackle and a left, and then you just discard whatever work you've put into Josh Jones so far. I hope that Tomlinson, if he's the guy that they would go after, he's the guy that I think would be the perfect type of fit as far as for price, talent caliber, you take him away from the Niners. I just think he's going to be a priority for San Francisco this offseason to keep Uh, And we'll see how that will go for the most part. Um, That will wrap it up for us on the ROTB pod. Uh, I know we didn't really talk about quarterback, which is good because, you know, your your assumption, at least for the most part, would be hopefully that Colt McCoy would be back with the team. Um, As we wrap up, at least, uh, is there anything that you feel like at least, Kent, with the Cardinals and with their situation or other stuff that we haven't talked about thus far that you feel like would be worth a mention for me i think a lot of it is i'm going to be watching their coaching staff very curiously over the next few weeks to see if they do decide to make any other types of moves we've already seen how they have brought in a vance joseph guy to fill a gap from a departing uh line coach as far as the defensive line goes if they're going to be rolling out with this linebackers coach and vance joseph it's going to be very interesting i think to see what will Go on with them for uh, just with Arizona, and then also to be able to see what exactly is going to be the case of if there any other Kyler Murray news that pops out over the next upcoming weeks. That will be something I think that'll be curious as well.
1: Yeah, just I I guess touching on the on the running back free agent market being Mm -hmm. very very thin. So your likes of James Conner and Chase Edmonds are probably going to have options in free agency, which make Make them a lot more expensive to try and bring back into into Arizona, which probably boosts that up your your draft board list, or you're looking at someone like uh, a Daryl Williams possibly out of KC to sign on a on a two year deal to be someone who can who can fill a role for a year or two. Um, yeah. Hopefully, there's no Kyler. Murray, hopefully, there's no Kyler Murray news. Hopefully it all just slowly <laughs> slowly disappears away and they can deal with it internally like it should have been dealt with from the start. The coaching staff is is going to be a, a fun one to watch. Um, we talked about Billy Davis last week and, and where that goes and and who's going to come in on that defensive line will be uh, one to watch.
0: Yeah, for sure. Just one thing, at least reaching out with all of that as far as for the needs, I do think running back James Conner um, I think he had the highest grade, at least in PFF, of his entire career. Chase Edmonds had the lowest grade of his entire career, but you know he also got the most amount of snaps he ever did as well. That's going to be something we'll be able to watch. We'll be here to talk about it on the ROTB pod. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7, as well as uh, the podcast. We'll have all of the tweets, other different likes. will be at the R- at ROTB pod. Uh, Kent, where can the listeners be able to find you for some of your Twitter takes as well?
1: Uh, that's at Kent underscore hotter on Twitter
0: absolutely uh thank you guys again for tuning in it's been the rtb pod we'll be back probably again either in a week if there's more news or at least being able to look at with the rest of the upcoming draft as well we've got the nfl combine coming up um that'll be something at least to be able to go over thanks again for tuning in take care and go cardinals